Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. I have our scripture reading today. It is John 13, 1 through 17. Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to leave this world to go to the Father. Having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right to the end. It was supper time. The devil by now had Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, firmly in his grip, all set for the betrayal. Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, that he came from God and was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table, set aside his robe, and put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. When he got to Simon Peter, Peter said, Master, you wash my feet? Jesus answered, You don't understand now what I am doing, but it will be clear enough to you later. Peter persisted, You're not going to wash my feet ever. Jesus said, If I don't wash you, you can't be part of what I'm doing. Master, said Peter, Not only my feet then, wash my hands, wash my head. Jesus said, If you've had a bath in the morning, you only need your feet washed now. You're clean from head to toe. My concern, you understand, is holiness, not hygiene. So now you're clean, but not every one of you. He knew who was betraying him. That's why he said, not every one of you. After he had finished washing their feet, he took his robe, put it back on, and went back to his place at the table. Then he said, do you understand what I have done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. That is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee doesn't give orders to an employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it and live a blessed life. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Aaron. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for your presence in this room. And we pray, Father, that you would increase it. Father, we came here today to experience you. And Jesus, we know that when your kids get together, you gather in the room with us as a happy father. And so, Father, I pray today that you would allow us to feel your delight, that you would allow us to feel your love. Father, I pray that the strongholds, the things in our minds that think there's a barrier between you and us today will be completely gone and that we can experience you for the thousandth time or for the first time. And so, Spirit, we ask you to come. We open our hearts and minds and bodies to receive you. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, hey, good morning, everyone. We're into the second to last week of our sermon series on Extraordinary, in which, um, in which the whole deal about this sermon series is that if you add one extra practice to your everyday, ordinary life, you're going to end up doing 
something extraordinary after a while. And every week in this sermon series, we've had a praxis for you to try at the end. We call it five minutes of try um, because we believe God can meet us in just five minutes. And so what we've been doing is adding an extra prayer practice every week to our already ordinary lives because most of the time what we see in the church is, is when, a, when churches, when the church of Jesus corporate, every church starts to pray, it seems as if God starts to move. And so basically what we want to do is be a church that's entering in, that's preparing ourselves for God moving amongst us. And it seemingly has been so. We've seen God move in our church. If you were at our prayer service last Sunday night, um, God just came and met and spoke to people. And it was just a sweet, small, awesome time. And so God's moving in our church, and we're just positioning ourselves to hear him and to work with him. Hey, but today we're going to talk about a normal topic. It's probably, if you're actually, what's, what's the topic Chad preaches about the most? It's probably the first thing that comes to your mind. It would be identity. And each time I talk about this, um, I always like to add more to it. Um, specifically because we're building the theology of identity within our church, but each time we have to revisit that and then add something on to it. Um, and, and if you took all my sermons I've ever preached on identity in this church, you would see they're just a slow progression, and we're going somewhere in it. And, but specifically, how does living from our identity in Christ affect how we live and pray? And what kind of life is possible when we do that? Um, but first, I want to tell a story before we jump in here and we talk about Scripture today. Growing up, my father owned a barbecue pit and a Dairy Queen. And as a child, that was awesome. I got barbecue and ice cream all the time. Um, but the worst thing about it, though, is child labor. <laughs> it was awful. My dad would wake up at 4.30 in the morning, wake me up, take me to the barbecue pit because he had to get the meat going and, and the silverware wrapped. But I didn't get to do any of that. What I got to do is scrape under the tables where people stick all their nasty things, um, which was awful as a kid. Um, it's even more awful now that I was writing the sermon. And I was like, oh my gosh, I need to talk to him about this. Like, <laughs> like he owes me something. I'm kidding. He owes me nothing. Um, but like, I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, didn't he take me to the Dairy Queen right after that and make me do the exact same thing? Like there's some type of child labor loss for a five to seven year old there. Um, but he's an opportunist. So I kind of respect him for that. Um, he taught that to me. Um, but, um, but the best thing about it was um, I got everything I wanted. Um, it was normal for me. It was normal to see me after an after-school rush. School had just let out, and everyone's going to the DQ to get ice cream or whatever after school. It's piled up in the drive-thru. It's piled up going into it. There's tons of people in there. And there's this five- to seven-year-old walking in, walking behind the counter, walking to the back. I give my dad my order. I come out, and on the way out, I open the little fridge um, in the back back there. People see me open it up, take out a dilly bar, open it up, take the whipped cream, pour it on top, and walk out. Um, it's amazing I wasn't obese as a child. ADHD and not being able to sit still helped me in one area, and that's the only area it helped me in. Um, but still, like, like guys, I, like, I would do that multiple times, and as a kid, I just knew I had access to it, and I could move freely because I knew who my father was and everyone did too. My dad's hired workers, which one of them was my sister, couldn't do it. 
And she was always mad. Why does Chad just move around here? And my dad would be like, it's just Chad. It's just Chad. And my father was a great father. Um, and I knew what I had access to. And in the kingdom of God, if we are not settled and living from the identity that God speaks over us, we will never live out all that he has created us for or be able to receive what he's purchased for us. And oftentimes, through religious and false identities, we live as hired workers instead of sons and daughters of God. Once you have your identity settled in Jesus, you start to live from there and you start to become like Jesus and you start to love what he loves. And as we look at the scripture today, we see John give us some insight into this. We see Jesus selflessly take up an apron and wash his disciples' feet, even wash the feet of the one who was about to betray him. And what blows my mind is Jesus knew this and it never changed how he responded to Judas. And never changed love. And if we read on, Jesus serves communion. He breaks the blood and body of Jesus and gives it to Judas. Knowing he's going to reject and betray him. And Jesus doesn't even flinch or second guess. He washed his feet and serves him communion. This is betrayal, but what makes it the worst kind of betrayal, it's someone who has walked with you intimately for about three years You've probably sailed laughs around the campfire. You probably shared a cry with him, enjoyed warm conversations. You probably encouraged him, saw his potential, tried to bring it out, and loved him. Jesus loved Judas. And this is what has blown my mind about Jesus for the past two years whenever I read scripture. It's the thing that most stands out to me whenever I read a gospel story. I see people trying to trap, accuse, and get Jesus stuck into something, and it never changes love. It never changes how he responds to us. And what makes that even harder is that we're called to imitate that, right? Jesus is perfect theology, so when we look at his life and we see how he acts towards people who are betraying him and trying to trap him and trick him, we have to live out that according to his example. And as we do that, the people and the places we live, work, learn, and play see Jesus in us. Yet, I don't know about you, I often don't act like Jesus. Um, I often get offended, hurt, respond according to how I am affected or how I feel And I do that more often than I would like to admit. So the question for me is, is how did Jesus do it? Was it because he was God and we're just men so Jesus can do that, but we we really can't? Or did John give us some insight into how Jesus was able to live and respond from that place? And I think John does. In John 13, 3, John shows us how Jesus was able to live this kind of life And it was because Jesus knew his identity and because that identity, he knew what he had access to and he had security. John 13, 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, that he came from God and was on his way back to God. And that's weird that John would put that in in there. And so what did Jesus do out of that place? He got up, grabbed his apron, and washed the disciples' feet. Because of his identity, which he derived from the love of his his father, he knew what was his through that relationship, knew whose he was and where he was going. Judas or another person's rejection and betrayal could not touch his peace. 
He was secure, and people's rejection couldn't even touch that. So in the midst of all that, Jesus could get up, display, and represent the love of his fathers, the love of his father to his disciples. Jesus was free to let the kingdom flow through him because nothing outward could affect that. Because he knew who he was, and he knew where he was going. Jesus lived from his identity, not for his identity. Get that. Jesus lived from his identity, not for it. And so John showed us how we live this out, that we have to root our identity in the love of the Father and the finished work of Christ, and then live from there. And I mean, guys, this is the disciple who called himself the disciple that Jesus loves. John knew what he was doing. John saw the life of Jesus. John saw how Jesus rooted himself as the beloved of the Father, and so John rooted himself in that. So John could say, without cockiness or pride or arrogance, and I think it was pure humility that he could say, John, or he could name himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, because humility agrees with God, always agrees with God. And that's what John did. That's how John saw himself. But here's the problem. You and I have had numerous voices speaking over our lives, telling us who we are, and we have believed those voices. There are many identities in this world that clamor out our hearts and warp what Jesus has purchased and the Father speaks over us. So I want to explain that from an idea that I've heard one time, and it's a chair one, which will be right here. There's no chair here. I'm sorry. I didn't grab chairs. I could point at that. But we're just going to say this invisible, beautiful chair right here is chair one, and over here is chair two. And these are the identities that we live from. And so first, I want to start off and say there, there's tons of identities that I could talk about today, but I'm going to talk about two from the chair two perspective, which is the identity of self. It's the identities that we take from the world. It's the identity that we take from voices over us. And it's the identity that we take from a religious spirit. And specifically, we're going to talk about the identities of a religious spirit and the identities of the voices spoken over us. And I think these are two very common identities. So the first identities is what other people say about you. Um, How many have ever heard the kids rhyme, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never harm you? Like all kids rhymes, that's a complete lie. Words hurt, man. They hurt bad. And like a lot of us, we've had a lot of words spoken over to us. And scripture tells us in Proverbs that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Like that is strong, death or life. And when me and Christy were dating my, um, my um, wife, um, we were about... And so um, we dated six months before we got engaged. And during that time, um, we would always have this tagline. We would joke around with each other. And then if we ever did something that we didn't like that we did, we would always say this, I'm sorry, I'm just the worst. And we would always say that. And one day we were driving down the road and she was like, I'm sorry, I'm the worst. And in me, the spirit of God just goes, you're not allowed to say that anymore. He goes, no. And I looked at her, I go, hey, we can't say these things anymore. The reason why is because we're speaking an identity over ourselves. And the identity spoken to us, whether in jest or whether harshly, we take in and we believe. And so the 
be whoever the God was like, stop saying that. And so we promised each other that day we stopped saying it. Um, let me say it. We still say it. And every time it's like, oh, I'm the worst. And, and she's like, you better not say that at all. And if you're ever around us and you give yourself a bad identity, we will call you out. We will stop everything. It will be awkward. And we will say, hey, don't say that. And, for, and, ask, and ask forgiveness to yourself. Because we don't want you to believe those lies. And God doesn't want you to believe those lies. Um, here's a real unhealthy way of, do, of doing it that we did once. If you guys remember Eli Smith, he used to play the bass back here. He was in our core group. And he was speaking all these false identities over himself. And Christy looks at him and says, hey, forgive yourself. Drop and give me 10. So he's dropped. And so, hey, if Christy tells you to do something, you do something. I know. And so, and so basically, Eli dropped and gave us 10. Now, don't punish people. That's the wrong thing to do. Um, we're still learning how to do it ourselves. Um, but the lies spoken over us and the things people speak about us hit us and we believe those things. Um, and, and let me just say this, parents. Um, I'm not a parent, but I, I have had a parent who loved me and adored me and would do anything for me, spoke the identity you don't know what you're doing all the time to me, hey, you don't know what you're doing, hey, you don't know what you're doing, and he would take it from me, and he would do it. And he loved me and cared for me, and you want to know what I grew, grew, grew up believing? That I never knew what I was doing. And he loved me, and he cared for me. So in jest or in, ser in seriousness, watch what you say to your kids, because they hear it. And if they hear it, it gets them in the core, and they start believing, and they will live out that identity. That's like, that's bonus. I just want to say that. Um, and that's been on my heart for a while to say that. Um, but guys, so these identities that are spoken over us can stick with us for our lifetimes and we will fulfill them. And so we reject them. We say no in the name of Jesus and we live from the true identity that God gives us. Now the second one, which is a fun one, this is the one I always get the most pushback on. And so we're going to have some fun here today. It's the religious spirit. It's a religious identity. And guys, if you're living from that chair too and you have this religious identity, you are always striving to be acceptable to God. It is always starting in a deficit because of your sin and your righteousness record. And most of the time, your sin record stands out more. I don't know about you guys. It does here. I see my sin a lot more than my righteousness. And according to our experience, our sin record just wins out most of the time. So we have to work ourselves up to God, and we don't come before him in confidence, but mostly same and his perceived disappointment in us. This identity mostly keeps a duality identity, and it has the identity of saint and sinner. And if you live from this duality of identity, you'll never know where you stand with God. You will never know. Here's what author and pastor Chris Valaton says. I love it. He says, and we have the quote, whenever we review the events of our lives apart from the blood of Jesus, we subject ourselves to the influence of, to the spirit of deception. In reality, my sinful past no longer exists. The Lamb of God purchased it with a payment in blood, forever removing my sins from the records of heaven. The atoning blood of Jesus covers my sin, never to be uncovered again. Now listen to this. Sin's power to destroy us is itself destroyed by a superior reality, forgiveness. The devil keeps record of our past, yet those records are powerless without our agreement. He is the accuser of the brethren, 
but Jesus is our defender. We make an agreement with the accuser whenever we look at our past apart from the blood of Jesus. When we agree with the devil, we empower him, and when he is empowered, he devours. And what Satan so subtly does is get us to agree that we are defined by our sin, by what we do. And that is just not how God sees and responds to us. God sees our sin and will deal with it because he loves us. And our sin can wreck our lives and those around us. He doesn't want us to be hurt, so he will point it out, not to our same, but for our flourishing. But he doesn't define us by our sin. Now, the biggest rebuttal I get on this is what about the Apostle Paul? You know, he called himself the chief sinner, or in the version I'm about to read, public sinner number one. Uh, Well, I'm glad to answer that within the context that I think Paul's talking about. And also, I will say, there's room for discussing here. There's tons of room for discussing, even, even linguistically. And let me tell you, I'm not a linguist, so I'm not bringing that up today. I'll leave someone smarter else to do that. But it's 1 Timothy chapter 1, 15 through 17. Paul says, here's a word you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'm proof, public sinner number one, of someone who could never have made it apart from sheer mercy. And now he shows me off, evidence of his endless patience to those who are right on the edge of trusting him forever. So what's Paul saying here and what's the context of this? What I think Paul's saying here is this self-description points to his pre-conversion unbelief, to his blasphemy, denying the Lord Jesus, and persecution of Christ's people. Paul, right before this in verse 13, says, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, all those are identities. And he says, though I was formerly these things, And here's a word you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into the world. I'm proof, public sinner number one. And after that, a more literal version says, but now I have obtained mercy. And the mercy and blood of Jesus is speaking better things over my life. And so what I believe is happening there is Paul's talking about his pre-conversion state. And guys, and if you look at the letters or any of the letters of Paul, you see this all throughout. He's the one who wrote Colossians, who who wrote that verse that we've talked about forever, that we are holy and blameless in God's sight. In Romans 5, 9, he says, For just as though and just as through one man's disobedience, Adam's, that many were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. That's a change of identity. And through Christ, we are made righteous. We are no longer just sinners saved by grace. We are sons and daughters of God. And guys, if you live from the identity constantly of sinner, you will spend the rest of your life working on sin management and just making it to heaven. And you'll never be able to fully access all that Christ paid for you through the finished work of the cross. Author Henry Nowen says this, says this, self-rejection is the greatest enemy of spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us beloved. Being beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. Our existence. And so living from chair two, you're striving to be acceptable to God. Living from chair two, you're living for God instead of from him. 
like Jesus taught, taught us. And so what about chair one? Chair one's my favorite. It's the one I like to be in the most, but I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm pretty comfortable with this one over here. It feels good sometimes. It's a warm blanket, but I want to live from over here. And chair one is the identity that I think Jesus modeled for us in that story in John, and it, and it is fully identified as beloved of the Father. Being in chair one, you live from God instead of for God. It's where we realize through the finished work of Christ that God has done everything for us. And because of that, we can rest to experience God's pleasure. Hear this, we can rest to experience God's pleasure without ever having to perform for his pleasure. In fact, God is already pleased with you before you ever do anything. And that is the place Jesus served out of. And that's the invitation for us as sons and daughters of the king to live from that place. Not for that place, because Jesus has already finished that work. We live from that place. You get up from that place, you grab your apron, and you start washing feet. You don't have to compete with others for positions, for attention, uh, or, or to perform better than them to find self-worth and acceptance because God already gives you the self-worth you need and the acceptance. So you don't have to fight people for that. You can applaud and celebrate others without envy rising up in you. You can love others when they revile, persecute, and like Jesus, even betray you because you're not living for anyone's acceptance and love. And no one's behavior towards you affects how you treat others outwardly. Because he already loves and accepts you and you are secure and nothing can change that. A person treating you wrong cannot affect your identity. Over here it can, because it means I'm not receiving love. But over here, you've already got love, and those things can't get to your soul. Now, I want to say this, because most people think I'm a, I may be a tad bit of a sin den denier, and I don't want you guys to hear that. In fact, I think when you live from this chair, you're more aware of your sin you deal with your sin more often, you repent more often. Over here, you're kind of afraid to go with God because honestly, you worked up kind of a track record. You got a lot of things to talk about and so you kind of stay away and you sigh away from God. But over here, you're able to be open and honest because your sin doesn't change how God sees you and it doesn't change how he acts towards you. So over here is free of repentance and confessing. And over here, you don't get stuck. You're free like Jesus. You can come, repent, confess, lay it down, and move on. Because as kingdom people, we just don't have time to get stuck in shame. Henry Nouwen also says this. God loved you before you were born, and God will love you after you die. In Scripture, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. This is a very fundamental truth of your identity. This is who you are, whether you feel it or not. You belong to God from eternity to eternity. Life is just a little opportunity for you during a few years to say, I love you too. Here's the one thing about Nowen. He wrote, he wrote a book, Life of, the Life of the Beloved. You need to go read that book. He also wrote a book on the practical son once he gets into this. You also need to read that. People say that whenever Henry Nowen had this revelation and started living from it, he became a more kind patient, loving version of himself than he ever was before. Now, it doesn't mean he didn't have doubts. It doesn't mean he didn't have struggles. He did, but how he treated others, he was free. He was able to treat others with love because his self-worth wasn't ever rejected. 
And so in this sermon series, we're talking about prayer. And if you live from this identity, your prayers will be much different. There will kind of be less begging and more thank yous. Um, the Psalms used to always trip me up when I was always confused on who I was in Jesus. Um, specifically, a psalm like this. The righteous cry out, the Lord hears, and rescue them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. And I would see that word righteous, and I would be like, dang. It wouldn't be that word. It'd be the other word I can't say from the stage. Um, but basically, I'd be like, oh, dang. Jesus, I, I haven't been very righteous this week. And matter of fact, haven't been very righteous today. You hearing my prayer is going to be kind of up in the air. But when your identity is rooted in Christ, you see the righteous cry out and the Lord hear, hears. Your response is kind of different. It's like, Jesus, thank you that it's your righteousness that God sees. My righteousness can't earn me anything. My unrighteousness can't earn or get rid of anything from me. But Jesus, it's your righteousness. And when God, you see me, you see Jesus' righteousness. And because of that, you always hear my prayers. So if you're secure in your identity, you see the righteous and you're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You will pray like Jesus did in John 11, 41. And this is a cool prayer. I wish I prayed like this more often, where Jesus just kind of was like, Father, I thank you that you hear my prayers. Like, guys, you can pray that. Because he always does. Because if you're in Christ, he sees Christ's righteousness, not yours. So he always hears your prayers. And having this confidence before God in prayer is huge. It changes everything. James talks about in James 1, 5 through 8, he goes, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. And it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. But if you're living from your identity, you're pretty secure. God hears your prayers. You have confidence before God. You don't have to doubt. Now, the question is whether or not how and when God will answer our prayers, because that is kind of up to him. But you have confidence before God because you know God hears you. And you don't have to doubt. You don't have to be tossed back and forth. Guys, the success and the fruit of our Christian life is rooted in who we think we are. And we see in the life of Jesus that Jesus lived from his identity, not for his identity in the Father. And today he's inviting me and you to do the same. To believe that the work on the cross and imputed righteousness is enough to live from that beloved place. And so the band can come up. And so, guys, here we see um, this week, you have these on your seat. It's our five minutes to try this week. You're going to see an example of a prayer. And then down at the bottom, you're going to see some scripture this week to practice for five days. And we have the specific version if you want to use that. You can use whatever version you want to. Um, but overall, this is something that whenever God was dealing with me and trying to honestly hear, heal my emotions and, and my soul, that God had me do. And I would go to these verses and I would read the first one, which is the one we've talked about for two years here, which is Colossians, that we are holy and blameless in his sight. And what you do is you read that out once and then, and then you stop and you think about it and then you read it out loud once and then after that, you pray it. And the best way to pray with Jesus is, Jesus, thank you. 
that I'm holy and blameless in your sight. And then just sit there, like in silence, a few minutes, and just let that be said. Father, I thank you that I'm holy and blameless in your sight. And guys, this is once again when, do you, do you, do you remember when we talked about fasting where, where I said, I can't tell you what to do? And this, I can't tell you what to do after that. That's between you and Jesus, and he'll lead you. He may lead you to be honest, and it may be, Jesus, I thank you that I'm holy and blameless in your sight, and you wait a few minutes, and you go, I think Chad's out of his mind. Like, that may be what you pray. That's perfectly fine. He knows that. And he'll probably talk with you about that. I probably need to hear something. So please listen for me if that's what you feel led to do. But, um, but overall, you may be, Lord, thank you that I'm holy and blameless in your sight. Father, I believe this is true. Help me grow in it. Father, come father me. Come be my father. And in the places where I don't see this, come and help me grow in this. And let me say, that's a dangerous prayer to pray because he will. He will. Or the prayer could just be, Father, I thank you. And guys, this is how you start to believe that. You start to root yourself in it. And you may not feel it, but it's how you start to live it and live from it. And we want to be people here at Vineyard Springbrook who are living from God, not striving for him.